It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Last summer, the government launched their new national adoption strategy for England, which laid out bold ambitions. The government's vision was to ensure that all adoptive children are found permanent, loving homes as quickly as possible, where they will be safe and secure. But the number of children entering care in England has reached an all-time high, and the number of children being adopted is declining sharply. A damning report says England's social care system is under extreme stress and needs a radical reset. The report has found that the number of children in care in England has increased by 25% in just over a decade. And without radical change, it warns, 100,000 children could be in care by 2032. For some children, experiencing trauma in their early years can lead to challenges when settling into their adopted families, and parents can find themselves fighting for the right support. Every single step of the way with everything that we've put into place for our daughter, it's been a battle. We've come up against obstacle after obstacle. And as you'll hear, a lack of support can lead to extreme situations. So in this episode you'll hear some distressing accounts of children at risk of hurting themselves and others and how far parents go to protect them. She sort of learnt various coping mechanisms like taking her glasses off so the glass didn't smash into her eyes and she said, you have no idea how many times I've told the police that I don't want to press charges against my own child. What's going wrong for the families where adoption breaks down? And what needs to change to protect some of the most vulnerable people in our society? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, what happens when adoption fails? Well, we'd always thought about it, really. We'd, it had always been something that we discussed when we were thinking about how to start a family. Both of us have got siblings that are adopted. We thought that we might have children naturally as well, but we didn't, and we decided to adopt. We spoke to two people who have direct experience of the system. Hi, I'm Hannah. 
And I'm Chris. They adopted their now six-year-old daughter when she was just 11 months old. Our daughter was such a easy baby and she was very attached to us very early on so those initial few months were great really weren't they yeah Uh, each day um, she was very settled and things just got better and better we found that there was kind of like an an introduction process where we were getting to know her and even on that very first day that she seemed very attached to us and she actually called me mum because the foster carer had been looking at some (laughs) photographs of us with her in advance and so when she saw me, she actually said, mum, 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 which was like a really nice, nice moment. And tell me, how did things change? Um, so she'd, she'd always been quite a handful, hadn't she? <laughs> yeah, quite and, a lively uh, Yeah, <laughs> and I think because we obviously hadn't had any other children um, previously, we just thought, well, that's just her character. Saw the funny time a lot of the time when when she was younger. I think like the problems and some of her struggles started to arise as well a bit more as she progressed through the childcare setting that she was in at nursery with hurting other children and like hurting members of staff and things like that. And that's probably really when it started to emerge properly. And how bad did it get? It was really bad. She was hurting like the key worker that she had hurting her quite badly. She couldn't socialise with other children. I can now, I don't like to use the word normally, but in a kind of appropriate way, she just couldn't Mm. access those kind of experiences. And I think for us as parents, that was just really hard for us to watch as well because she's such a loving, kind little girl. And when she's not dysregulated, she's like the sweetest, like kindest and you know, wants to be friends with everybody, but children were actually getting a bit scared, scared of her. Of her yeah. And um, she did start her schooling in mainstream school and it got to the point where she'd been withdrawn from the class and was put with uh, two teaching assistants. So she had two-to-one support from adults and she was spending no time with her peers. Did you know very much about her background and what might be causing her, her behaviour now? We knew quite a lot about her background from reports and things. Yeah. And we actually met her birth mother before we adopted her. But from day one, she was actually in foster care from birth. So we struggled to connect the two as to why she was having these behavioural problems. I think a lot of the kind of damage, if you like, was actually done before she was even born. So when the baby's developing in the womb, if they're experiencing substance abuse through the mother and domestic abuse, those can have a big effect on brain development and on like the neural pathways. When our daughter came to us, she was just a little baby and you wouldn't know any different really, but obviously the problems were already kind of there, I think, even at that point. And what was she doing to you at home? Pulling my hair, biting me, kicking me, like hitting me in the face, like hitting me around the back of the head, all sorts of throwing of things at you. throwing things at me, and that as she got bigger, that became more of an issue to the extent that it actually got to the point where I was actually a little bit scared of her at, at points because she is quite strong and she can get very very angry. I think both of our mental health was at a real low, and we were really struggling with how to cope with her, and I, I think something I was really struggling with was just how to actually keep her safe because when she would get really cross and angry, she would just have absolutely no control of anything. So 
it had reached a bit of a crisis point really which is why we actually sought a private assessment because we were on the waiting list with our local CAMS team and they told us it was going to be four years so it would have mean she wouldn't have been seen till she was about eight or nine and we just didn't feel that that was an appropriate time scale for her or for us really. Left with what felt like no other choice Hannah and Chris bypassed the waiting list for their local children's mental health services and sought a diagnosis at a private clinic instead. The overriding thing that they found was that she was diagnosed with ADHD and the psychiatrist that did the assessment said it was one of the most severe cases of ADHD that they'd ever seen. And the ironic thing about that was that post-adoption support won't fund any assessments that like, look at ADHD because they say a lot of children who have been adopted are kind of misdiagnosed with ADHD or autism when it's actually just trauma. But all of the trauma sort of based work that they offer as solutions and support, we tried all that from day one and her needs were way over and above that. In a way, you were lucky that you could pay for private care. Without that, I imagine, you know, the process of, of the adoption certainly that you've, you've gone through would have been near impossible. Well, we would still be in the same situation as before. She wouldn't be receiving any treatment. She wouldn't be able to access the learning that she's doing now at school. And we would constantly be living in crisis because that's how it was before she was diagnosed and then we managed to source medication for her. Although they're no longer together, Hannah and Chris have been able to work through their family's unique set of challenges, and they now co-parent their daughter, splitting her time equally between them. But in some cases, the situation can become too difficult to keep a family together, and the adoption fails or disrupts. One of my colleagues has been looking into cases where that's happened. I'm Megan Agnew, and I am a news features writer on the Sunday Times. And Megan, how did you become aware of the problems with adoption? We ran a story in News Review in the autumn of last year, and it was written by a woman who adopted two boys when they were younger, and they're teenagers now. She wrote about her experience bringing her sons up and how there was no one really helping and eventually one of them had to return to care because she couldn't keep him safe from himself and also from other people. We had a huge reaction from that and lots of feedback and lots of comments and as did she, we thought that there must be something more there as a result so Mm. I looked into it and spoke to some of the families that got in touch after that piece. The author of that article, Eleanor, spoke to BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour. For the first four or five years, we had an absolutely magical time. Adoption, you know, is one of the most incredible things that you can do. But what I think society doesn't recognise is that it's not like it is in the movies. The trauma he'd experienced led to behaviours that were really so challenging to deal with, lying, um, stealing, lack of impulse control. Um, He found it impossible to have empathy for other people. Those were the easy bits. There were extremely challenging behaviours that put my family at risk, 
put him at risk. I'm still his mum, uh, we're still his family, and I think we are now resetting our relationship. But what a tragedy for everyone that it has to reach this point. We have done so much to give those children a better life. And yet when it goes wrong, we are unsupported and we can't speak out. And Megan, for people who haven't encountered adoption, don't really know how it works. I mean, just what is the process? How do you go about adopting a child? So as parents, you have to approach an adoption agency, which is a charitable organisation in the UK. You at first tell them basic details about yourself, where you want to adopt, how many children you'd be happy to adopt. And then there's a really rigorous process from there, which involves them interviewing your family and friends and ex-partners and colleagues and, you know, all of these people to try and figure out whether you are appropriate to be an adoptive parent. There are interviews, you have training sessions. Then finally, when you qualify, they try and match you as successfully as they can with a child in care. You'll meet them and you gradually build up a relationship until they might spend one or two nights with you and then a week and then they move in. Generally, about two years later, the adoption order will go through, which means that you are their legal and permanent parents. So it's a long process. And in terms of the children being adopted, I mean, how much has changed with modern adoption now compared to, say, you know, even three or four decades ago? Well, children are much older when they're adopted now. Why is that? Mainly it's to do with the social stigma of being a single young mother in the 50s, 60s, 70s-ish, when, particularly in Ireland or in Catholic areas or um, families, if you were a young single mother, then you were made to give up your child at birth. So there were lots more babies that were adopted immediately days after the mother had them. So now that that's much less stigmatised, it doesn't really happen. What does happen now is that children are taken away from their families under what's called a care order, which means that the state decides that their birth family are not keeping them safe or there's a danger to the child. But from there, it can take a really long time for the court to permanently remove them from the family because they have to be absolutely convinced that there is no other biological family member that the child could go to and that the parents aren't likely in the future to be able to rectify their situation and be able to look after their child. So that can take about two or three years, by which point the baby sometimes, or the toddler, is jumping around between different foster carers. So that that's very difficult. I think the average age that a child is adopted now is three years and three months. In general, they've been through more. They have more scars. And that really affects them as they get older and and they really are in desperate need of therapeutic support and help immediately as they grow up. And what does it mean when an adoption disrupts? There's quite a wide definition of that, but generally that means that the child no longer lives with the parents in the way that was originally decided. So that might mean 
returning totally to the care of the states, or that might mean signing what's called a Section 20, which is when the parents are declaring that they can't keep their child safe for the moment and the local authority has to find accommodation for them. Right, but as a temporary measure as opposed to complete cut-off. Yep, and the parents still maintain responsibility for the child. The child is... The child's legal parent is not the state. How often does that happen? We don't really know. Mm. I mean, we think it's around 3% of adoptions disrupt. Other people have put it much higher. Some researchers said that it's as much as a third. But there is no requirement on a local authority to track and measure adoption disruption. There are also... So many adoptions that are brilliantly successful. Yeah. It is not always a horror story. But our government and the last sort of two decades, we've decided that adoption is our main policy Mm. for helping children out of care. And if we're going to do that, then there has to be full support for the families who adopt those children. Coming up, we hear about the children with such extreme behaviour that they're a danger to themselves and others. And how do we help families like these before adoption disrupts? That's after a quick message from a colleague. Hi, I'm George Abuffnot, the deputy editor of the Sunday Times Insights Investigations team. It's you, the listeners and subscribers who enable the Insight team to investigate the government's response to the pandemic. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com ready to pop the question The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
you've spoken to a number of families in these situations now. What sort of strains were being placed on them? What problems were they encountering with with children? Violence by the children against their parents is quite a big problem, which there's a lot of shame around and is very difficult for the parents to talk about. Mm. The parents don't want to insinuate that they are rejecting their child Uh. or that they don't love their child. So I think often they stay quiet for a very long time. There are real issues with school. Finding places at specialist schools that work for the kids is really, really hard. And getting therapy. They wait years if it happens at all. And sometimes when they do get it, a number of them said that it's quite useless. You know, they offer play therapy and the child is actually in desperate need of something more intensive. I mean, just give us, give us a few examples of how extreme the behaviour can be. One woman's son would have these sort of rages when he would see red and smash things in the house or hit her. And then he'd come round a few minutes later and say, Mummy, I can't believe I've hurt you. What have I done? And burst into tears. So it wasn't a malicious attack. It was just a a real breakdown of his that he kept having. And she sort of learnt various coping mechanisms like taking her glasses off. The glass didn't smash into her eyes. And she said, you have no idea how many times I've told the police that I don't want to press charges against my own child. And she was asking for help and asking for therapy and it didn't arrive and she said it's not him I want everyone to know how much I love my child and how much I will fight for my child and it's he's the best thing that's ever happened to me it's his mind and and the things that he's been through one of them who I went to see and I, and I met her son her son had a real mental health crisis during the pandemic after years of her asking for more and more help or any help at all from the Adoption Support Fund. I think he got one or two Zoom therapy sessions that said that she said didn't do anything. And he was suicidal. Oh, and God. she had to sleep in his bed or stand outside his room. And she was a single mother and he was her only child. And she said she barely slept for three years. And she put bells on ribbons across the window that would jangle in the night if he tried to jump out. And there was no option for respite care because it was during the pandemic. And she was exhausted. And so was he. So difficult. And there's just no support available. Until... She signed what's called a Section 20, which is a declaration that her child is beyond parental control, is is the wording. And when she signed that, the council sort of swoops in and has to provide accommodation for the child. So her son now lives about an hour away, one-on-one with a young carer and comes home on the weekends and it works really well for them. I met him and he loves it there and 
that's what he said anyway. Wow. So it's, it's it, the, the long-term solution is part-time parenting in that case. I think it can be, but I'm not sure whether they would have been in this situation now had there been earlier intervention. There does seem to be just a chronic lack of help available here. How often are families encountering that? Is this a common problem for people who, who adopt? They congregate often online. There are lots of Facebook groups and corners of Twitter where the parents are exchanging advice. Anecdotally, they all say that it's a struggle for support. And the most recent Adoption UK survey, which is the biggest adoption charity in the UK, which surveys parents each year, 78% of families say that it is a constant struggle for support. That struggle was something keenly felt by Hannah and Chris when they were trying to get help for their daughter. It just shouldn't have to be such a battle for people. I just feel every single step of the way with everything that we've put into place for our daughter, it's been a battle. We've come up against obstacle after obstacle, whether that's financial, whether that's political within these authorities about which budget's going to pay for something. or And ultimately, like, the priority really should be about, you know, ensuring that children like our daughter are supported and that the families are, because ultimately, otherwise, it, not in our situation, thank goodness, but... It does lead to breakdowns in adoption, and I can actually well understand how that happens. It's a fight, they say. It's a fight, it is a concentrated effort, and they wait years, and they fill out forms, and they fill out assessments, and... They feel like the support should be instant when they ask for it because it's not a huge surprise that they're asking for it in the first place or it shouldn't be a huge surprise. There's something called the Adoption Support Fund which was set up in 2015 and families can can apply for money from that for therapy and for assessments but the support that you receive from that is not guaranteed. Hmm. So... The council has to assess the child, but they don't have to provide the therapy that they recommend from the assessments. I mean, that seems to be key in this. Every example you've talked about, there just doesn't seem to be enough support around. In an ideal world, if you were designing the policy that government should introduce, I mean, what does the right amount of support look like? What would that be? I think the timing is a, is a massive issue. So immediate support rather than in two years because it's a huge amount of time for a child to wait and when I say support I mean therapy, effective therapy and schools have actually done a better job that there's funding now put aside for adopted children Mm. so we're sort of heading in the right direction with schools I think the constant churn of social workers is really difficult and Mm. All the adopted children that I spoke to said, I just wish that I had the same social worker. It would have made this much easier. I wish I had one or two advocates as my anchor through this, someone in the middle between them and their parents. Yeah. And I also think there needs to be more openness about the realities of 
adoption, maybe we should be moving more towards a model that is specialist foster carers that are a permanent arrangement or something similar, you know, people who are trained and almost whose job it is to look after children with really acute and complex needs rather than having parents at war with the council and often their own children because they feel like they weren't prepared or they weren't told what it might be like. So I think over the coming decades, adoption will change. And yet they they still clearly want to be adopting. It's not that it's put them off the process necessarily. There's a huge amount of hope and the people that do help adoptive parents and adoptees do a really brilliant job. Stephen Scott is a psychiatrist at the Maudsley Hospital in South London and he is a bit of a celebrity in the adoption community. You get a referral to him by your local authority and he sort of treats the family as a whole um, and he specialises in, in adoptive families. So treats them with a combination of something called an educational care and support plan and helps them figure out what they might need in school and at home and how the parents should parent them. And there are lots of success stories from his office. That access to the right support can make a world of difference, as in the case of Hannah and Chris's daughter, who received her diagnosis of ADHD at the Maudsley Hospital. She doesn't go to a mainstream school anymore and instead receives specialist education. How is she doing now? A lot, lot better. So much better, yeah. And she, I think the, one of the main things is that she's able to go to school every day now and have some kind of normal like school experience. And she's made some friends there, which is really nice, and has had some kind of experiences that she hadn't had before, like going to birthday parties and things like that. And just she's just so much, even just you can just see in her body, she's just calmer and just more settled in herself. There's still challenges way over and above probably like your average family have. But I think you know, she's such a lovable little girl and we're starting to see a lot more of her character and her sort of true self coming out really. If you were to talk to people now who are thinking of adopting... What would you say? I think I would definitely still say to do it. So, you know, without doing that process, we wouldn't have our daughter, so we obviously would recommend it. But I think I would just say go into it, like, with your eyes open and go away, do some reading and talk to other people, join Adoption UK. And there's lots of forums and things like that on there and just be as clued up as you can be, really, about it. A Department for Education spokesperson said, Through the National Adoption Strategy, we're working closely with regional agencies to transform how local adoption practices work and are delivered. The Adoption Support Fund has already helped 40,000 families and we're providing a further £144 million investment over the next three years. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. 
with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Sunday Times News Features writer Megan Agnew and parents Hannah and Chris. You can find all of Megan's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers today were Sam Chantarasak, James Shield and Marilyn Rust. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.